We're going to get into a new series this morning. It's a four-week brief look. And here, here's the title. Are you ready? Go ahead and put this on screen. What are you for? Go ahead and turn to a neighbor and ask them the question, what are you for? Go ahead, ask someone. This past week, some of you were for that team whose name will not be mentioned. You know, the one that won the World Series. Who was for that team? Anyone for that team that won the World Series? You say, well, I want you to say their name, Josh. It's because I'm not for that team. I was for the other team. I was for the Astros. You say, why? Well, because God lives in Texas like he lives in Tennessee. And we want people to know Jesus. No, actually, I, I lived in Texas for a little while. And, and so I just wanted to see them win. They didn't win. I, I was for the team. I was thinking about it. We are all, go ahead and put this on screen, here's sort of the big idea. Everyone is known by what they are for or by what they're against. You and I will be primarily known by what we are for or what we are against. Let me give you an illustration. If you walk into my office here in the church, you'll notice a bunch of photos all over the office. I brought one, in fact, this morning. Uh, This is a picture of my sweet wife and myself See, I was waiting for the awe. There was no awe. There was just the cricket, cricket. No, it, no, no, it's too late now. You can't. I'm sorry. This is a picture of my wife, Lindsay. She is hands down the better half across the board point. And so you just need to know she's my girl. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you come in and you see pictures of my wife or my children, you know from the moment you walk in who I am for based on what I display. Not only what I say, but what I display, you will know what I'm for. Now, wouldn't it be weird if you came into my office and instead of seeing pictures of my family, those that I am for, would it be strange to you if I just had rows of photos of other women in my office and a big X over all of their faces? Well, I'm not for this one or this one. I'm not for this one or this one. You come in and you go, this guy is weird or he's a serial killer. This is just odd. But many people, here's the thing that I think is so, so interesting. If you were to ask the average person on the street, hey, what is the church known by? How many people in our city or in our country or around the world would begin to define the church by what we are against and not by what we're for? They say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the group. You're against this particular behavior. Or you're the group that you're against this particular group of people. Or you're the people, you're the church, you're against this kind of weekend fun. But you're against this. And how many people would know us primarily by what we are against instead of by what we're for? I think for many of us, we need to pause, and as followers of Jesus Christ, this is one of the most important things we can ever do, is to clarify what is it that we are for. Yes, does that mean there are things that we oppose? Of course. But if the message of the church is primarily about what we are against, then we are missing what Christ has called us to. Does this make sense? So over the next few weeks, I want us to look at four things that the church, from its very beginning through today, four things that the church 
is for. Four things that the church is for. And here's why this is so important. For some of you, if you are just sort of coming back to church or you're kicking the tire of faith trying to look into it, this is one of the reasons that some of you left. This is some of the reasons that some of you decided to give up on God because you were convinced that the church existed for what it was against But we want to share with you this morning, hey, if that's your experience, we are sorry if we've contributed to it, but we want to set the record straight. This is what we are for as a church. Because the message has never been against, 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 against. The message has always been for God so loved the world that he gave his son. So we want to talk about what we are for. And to do that, I want us to walk back to the very first church in Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. While you're turning there, don't worry if you don't know where that is or you don't have a Bible. We'll have it on our electronic Bible right here on screen. But let me give you just sort of a setup here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the first four books of the New Testament. They are called Gospels. That word gospel means good news. It's a gospel because it is the good news about God sending his son Jesus to live, love, die, rise again on the third day so as to forgive and to live for us to bring us back into relationship with God. So you have the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the next book, the book of Acts, is the story of God's continuing work through his people by the power of God's Holy Spirit. His presence in us changes us and empowers us to go and to change the world. And so we're going to look at what was the original DNA of the church, because you need to know this. The DNA, you know what DNA is, right? It's, it's what makes you, you. It is the building block for everything that you are. Blue eyes, brown eyes, green eyes, not sure what color eyes. That's your DNA. Your height, your weight, your skin color. That's your DNA. And I want us to look at the DNA of the church. Because this is what makes us truly us. What we are for. So, let's kind of jump in here. Acts chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1, we're going to basically summarize two chapters of the Bible this morning in 23 minutes or less. Are you ready? Here we go. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 begins this way. In my former book, Theophilus, by the way, the guy writing this, his name is Luke. He wrote the gospel according to Luke about Jesus' life. So he wrote that, and now he's writing a second book, volume 2, about the church. So he says, in my former book, the gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus, and say this one very important word with me, began. No? No, let's try this again all together now. Ready? That Jesus began, very good, to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, these are sort of the leaders of the church, they became the leader of the church movement and the the faith after Jesus, that he gave to the apostles he had chosen. Now, After his suffering, this is talking about his death, he showed himself to these men and gave many, notice this, convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period, now notice this, of 40 days. Now real quick, why did he have to give them many convincing proofs and why did it take 40 days? Because that's how long it took him to convince them that yes, a dead man can come back from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's important to you. Side note, but listen carefully. Some of you become discouraged far too easily 
with how much time and effort it takes to communicate the good news of Jesus with your friends who don't yet know him. Understand that even those who could see him, feel him, touch him, smell him, hear him, it took time. Don't give up on those that you're praying for or communicating with. But notice, he spoke about this phrase. Look at this. The kingdom, next slide, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, this is what Jesus began talking about in the four gospels, and he continues to say, this is what it's about, this is what it's about, this is what it's about. The kingdom of God, it's where God is your father. Grace is the air that you just breathe. It's the forgiveness of sins. It's that darkness cannot overpower light, that God is bringing life into a broken world that as he did in the beginning, breathing life into dust and made life from it. He's rebreathing life through the power of the Spirit into you and me. He's bringing life to lives. He's bringing life to communities. He is restoring. He's healing. He's fixing. He's renewing. He's giving us a taste of heaven here on earth. That is the kingdom of heaven. And he begins with this picture, the kingdom of God. Now, on one occasion, notice what it says next. While Jesus was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, the city where they were. Do not leave, but wait for the gift my Father, God, promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So then, when they met together, they, the disciples and apostles, asked Jesus, Lord, now notice this, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom To whom? Israel. They're asking this question. They're like, okay, Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. But what about just us? It's all about us, right, Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kingdom of God. That's for Israel only, right? They're thinking too small. They think that God's work on the cross, God's work in human history is just for them to stay in a holy huddle. It's about them getting theirs and everyone else getting nothing. It's about overthrowing Rome and empowering them. But Jesus from day one, church, says it's not about you. It's about the whole world that God has this massive vision to expand the scope of his family from a small group of people to a global movement. It's not just about you. And so he says this, look at what he says next. He said to them, it's not for you to know the time or the dates the father has said by his own authority, but you will receive Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my, say this word with me, witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right where you are. And of course, you got to know they're going, they just killed you like 50, 40 days ago. And not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea, that's the surrounding area. And of course, they're going to go, well, that's not as bad because people kind of liked you in the surrounding areas. Oh, and you'll be my witnesses in Samaria. Now, you know, they were kind of going, Samaria, that's the place full of half-breeds, people who are not faithful enough to God. We don't like them, but you're going to be my witnesses even to people you don't know or don't like. And he says, and you're going to be witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And you've got to know they're thinking, Jesus, do you have any idea how big the world is? And I'm sure he was thinking, guys, you don't have a clue how big the world is. Because they're thinking just the Roman Empire. But he says, you're going to be my witnesses across the world, around the world. Now, this word, witnesses, you know what? I looked it up. 
Do you know what the Greek word witness means? It means witness. Yes, you're welcome this morning. Witness means witness. It's simple. It's what you do when you are called to testify in court. You simply tell what you have seen and heard. He's saying you're going to be the one who shows up and shares what you've seen and heard. Now notice this. This is real, real important. Notice the word right before witnesses. Look at, go ahead. And, what's this word right here, church? My. Notice he does not say, listen, listen, listen. When you show up, you tell people who they should not vote for. That is what you witness. He doesn't say you start the conversation by telling people how they should behave. That's how you witness. He, say, he doesn't say you, when you get in front of a crowd, go and tell them all the bad things they've ever done. That's, that's the, no, 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 no. Notice what you are witnessing to. He says you are going to be a witness to Jesus. That your focal point, your opening line is not about a behavior, a vote, a person, a way of living. It is about Jesus. You will be my witnesses. That's what you're here for. And so then he goes on. And notice what he says next here. He says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So he ascends to heaven. They're all standing around looking, going, wow, what's going on? A couple of angels show up and they're like... Uh, what, what are we looking at? Oh, yeah, Jesus just ascended. They say, hey, hey, he's coming back. You need to be busy. Stop navel gazing or sky gazing. Get to work. And so the church, these, these few followers, there aren't that many, only a, a less than 200. They do what the church has always done when the church didn't know what to do. Do you know what the church does when the church doesn't know what to do? The church gets together and prays. And so they go to an upper room. And so here in chapter 2, we then see what begins to happen. When the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost from Penta 5, Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. Jesus was killed during Passover week. So this is roughly 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. 50 days. This isn't a long time. So on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Notice this now. They saw what appeared to be tongues of fire that separated, came and rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So notice this, it all begins where they are gathering together, they are celebrating, they're praying, and God sends His Holy Spirit and they begin to do things that without the power of the Spirit is impossible. Hey, by the way, did you know that it's impossible to effectively share the good news of Jesus in your own strength? Yeah, you can, you can kind of persuade emotionally, but life change happens when God shows up and does something inside another person supernaturally. I can't, you can't. By the way, sometimes people will come forward after our gatherings. They'll say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Years ago, I had someone come up and after witnessing a baptism, someone else in the church said, oh, doesn't that just make you feel so good that your sermon brought someone to faith? And I said, no, there's nothing that I have said that has brought anyone ever to faith. It is the power of the Holy Spirit in the moment of our gatherings, his work in people's lives that changes them. You know what this means? If someone chooses to respond on Sunday, I get none of the praise. Do you know what else this means? 
If no one responds on Sunday, I get none of the blame. It is the work of the Spirit. Some of you are going, mm, I'm not sure if that mouth works. Yes, it does. Hang with it. This also means that if you share your faith and no one responds, it's not your fault. And if someone does respond, it's all of God's praise. Amen? So, notice, they show up. Now, verse 4. This is just, this is too cool. Look at this. Next slide. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. Now, say this with me. From every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, meaning, whoa. Because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Hear me now. It began as a small group. And you say, how is this movement going to leave this first century? How is this movement going to expand beyond their own borders? Did the church get together and say, you know what we need to do? We need to just, we need to figure out a system. Or, or the church, did the church get together and say, you know what, we need to figure out a strategy. Or, or did the church get together and say, you know what, we need to do, we need to fundraise. That's what will expand the kingdom. No, no, listen, I'm not opposed to systems, strategies, and fundraising. But you notice it is not the systems, strategies, or fundraising that changed the lives and expanded the church. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in the people of God. Which means, church, before we say we need to do one more thing, many of us need to pause and get on our knees and say, Dear Jesus, help us do what you've called us to do. So, God brings this group. Because it's not going to stay a little small group of like-minded people who grew up in the same place, with the same church, with the same people, with all that. It's going to be a global, multinational, multi-ethnic, multi-language, multi-everything church from day one, it began. Now notice what happens. Next slide. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? In other words, how is it possible that we can understand these guys since they're just these uneducated Galilean men, amazed and perplexed. By the way, that's how people are always when the Spirit of God moves. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? But somehow were made fun of them and said, ah, they've just had too much wine. They're drunk. Uh, by the way, the Bible is a funny book. You need to read the Bible. And I love this. So here's what happens. Day one. The Spirit of the Lord falls. People hear it. God makes such a commotion with His Spirit that He draws people. In fact, the verses that I skipped over, there are listed 15 nationalities. 15 different ethnic groups because the kingdom of God is bigger than our own little group, our own little place. Can I get an amen from anyone who believes that? And so He starts and it grows and it grows and it grows. Now here's the question. Here's the question that I've been wrestling with all week. When God's Holy Spirit shows up, when people gather, and Peter, the spokesman of the church, when he sees this crowd, he thinks, it's time for a sermon. After all, everyone with a big mouth thinks, it's time for another sermon. Some of you are married to people who are preachers. They don't stand up here, but they preach at you every day. Cricket, cricket, too close. Okay, so... He says, let's do this. So he gets up and he begins to preach. He begins to teach. Now here's the question. What is he going to talk about? Now the very first thing he does is he says, hey fellas, no one's drunk. Rather, this is simply fulfillment of what God promised in the Old Testament book of Joel, that this is going to happen. But then when the meat of the message begins, what does he focus on? Notice what he says here. 
Men of Israel, listen to this. Notice the the focal point of his message. See if you can sort of figure out what we are for as a church. Are you ready? Here it is. He says, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose, meaning it was not an accident and man doesn't control God. God controls man and God has already worked his plan in the lives of men. And then he goes on to say this, notice, and you put Jesus to death by nailing him to a cross. Let's let's say this next one together. God raised Jesus from the dead. And notice this last one. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, this was a radical statement because in the ancient world, the only one who could be called Lord was Caesar, Kyrios, Lord. He's the one who determined if you lived, if you died, where you lived, what you could do. Caesar was Lord in the ancient world. And Peter stands up and says, no, there's but one name. There's but one who is our true Lord, meaning church, doesn't matter what the culture says, you stand and speak him as your Lord, not anyone or anything else. He is Lord and Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one of God. Do you notice a repeating theme throughout this entire thing? The message of the church is that we are for Jesus, that no matter what else you may have heard, Jesus is our message. We are for Jesus. You say, yeah, 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 but I heard that you're against this. Hey, we can get there, but you need to know first that we are for Jesus. And everything, everything, everything is because of and by and for Jesus. In fact, here's the good news. Are you ready for some really, really good news? We are for Jesus, and Jesus is for you. We are for Jesus, and Jesus is for you. Now, this is not good news until you know how bad the situation really is. Notice what he goes on to say here. The people, after hearing all this, that they had killed Jesus, that they had done so many bad things, they say to Peter and the rest, they say, what shall we do? And Peter replies, attend church regularly. Is that what he says? Oh, no, no, no. He says, Give 10% or more of your income. Quick, we're going to pass the plates. Is that what he says? No. Hey, amen. By the way, I love it when the kids get involved with the service, don't you? He doesn't say attend. He doesn't say give, although those are good things to do. Notice what he does say. He says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of who? Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you like what you've seen, if you like the love of God being poured out, if you need a second chance, if you need a new day, then you do what we've done. You repent. You turn away from what you have done. Turn towards the God who loves you. You put him on in baptism, and everything becomes New church, here is our message. Here is what we are for. Jesus. That's it. Day one, the message of the church is we are for Jesus. So you say, well, so, so, so how do I show that I'm for Jesus? It's very simple. And by the way, this isn't just for you and me. It's for everyone. In fact, he says, it's not just for you. It's not even just for your kids, the people you love deeply. It's for everyone 
all who are far off. Do you know why this is good news to us, family? We are the all mentioned in this passage. You weren't there on Pentecost. I wasn't there on Pentecost. He wasn't talking directly at you. But when he says this promise of a fresh, new beginning in Jesus' name is for all people. He was looking through the corridors of history 2,000 years later to a room in Hickson, Tennessee. And the Spirit of God could come even here. And new beginnings are available every day. Is that good news? In fact, I want to tell you a really exciting thing. Every Sunday, you need to know this. Every Sunday... Here in our church is someone's first Sunday here. Almost every week we have at least one, if not multiple people who have never been here before and they get to be a part of the body. By the way, this is why, this is why when you come to church, I need to ask you, in fact, we're going to practice real fast here. When you come to church, before you leave your car, I need you to do something for me. Are you ready? This is going to be real hard, but just get ready for it. Are you ready? Before you leave your car, you need to practice something. Here's what I need you to practice. Ready? All right, now some of you are like, ooh, what is that? I have not seen this thing. He's showing his fangs. No, no, no. In fact, some of you need to practice it. So real quick, I need you to turn to someone. And I need you to give them the most heartfelt, sweet-looking smile possible. And if you don't know how to do that, fine, grimace. But do it. Go ahead. You got three seconds. Turn to someone real quick. Smile at them. Pretend you like them. Because you need to know the way you make that person feel Let's them know if you're for Jesus or not. In fact, last Sunday, you just need to know this. We had someone in our building did not grow up in this country who has never been in a church service before last Sunday, and they came here last week. I don't know if they're here this morning. If they are, you need to know you are welcome. You are welcome. What God began 2,000 years ago, he continues to do even here in Hickson. And the message had better be clear that we are for Jesus. How do we show that we are for Jesus? Real simply, to be for Jesus is two things. Write this down. It's number one, it's personal. Meaning that we turn from our old sin. That's what repentance means. It means that I'm walking this way. I'm living my life according to my way, my will. But repentance is stopping. It's turning around saying, I will follow you, Jesus. I will go where you go. I will do what you do. I will say what you say. I will be who you are. It is a stopping and a turning. That is repentance. It is a personal decision. And it is a public decision. See, some people want to keep their faith private. It's got to be public as well. He says, you repent and you are baptized. Now, baptism is more than just a sign, but it is a sign. It is a way of showing everyone, I'm for Jesus. Sometimes people will say, well, why should I be baptized? And we get into these arguments. Well, you should do it for this reason. You should do it for for that reason. Let Let me just kind of cut to the chase. If you are for Jesus, Jesus says, you show it in the most public way possible. It means if you are for Jesus and you've never put him on in baptism, if you came dry today, if you are for Jesus, you're going to leave wet for Jesus. And there were 3,000 people who, because they believed the message, because they heard that God loves us no matter what we've done, that we can turn from what we have done to the good God who saves if we simply repent, turn around, and we go public and say, I'm with Jesus, and thank God Jesus is for me. 3,000 people. 
came to faith in Jesus Christ. They had these baptistries right there in front of the temple where all this took place. You got 12 apostles. Most likely they were the ones doing the baptizing. Quick question, how long would it take for 12 men to baptize 3,000 people? And yet there's this long procession. And as people who were gathered there in the temple court, this massive structure, they're watching as 3,000 people, one after the other, after the other, are walking into the waters of baptism and out of the waters of baptism. And other people are going, what are they doing? And they're saying, I'm saying yes to Jesus that I am for him. And Jesus is for me. Quick question, church. And here's how we're going to end this morning. Are you ready? Quick question. Do people know that you're for Jesus? So if we looked at maybe the pictures in the room of your life, the words you say, the places you go, the way you interact with people, would people see pictures of Jesus all over the place? Or would they instead see a bunch of photos of what not to do with X's scratched out? Would you see in my life, and I pray to God that you'd see in my life that I'm for Jesus. Have you experienced the call of God saying, you're going to be my witnesses have you experienced the, the, the mixture of fear and excitement saying, I don't know how, but God's calling me to it. I'm going to step out in faith. Have you received the Holy Spirit, the one who changes you from the inside out, the one who gives you love, joy, peace? Some of you, listen, listen, some of you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit and you know, you know the love of God because the Spirit has given you that love and experienced it. Some of you, you say, this is my story. I did not know love. I could not give love because this world just squeezed it out of me. But the Spirit of God came in and he flows through me and I am just bursting with it. Others of you, it's joy. And you know that your life before Jesus was joyless. It was spent on selfishness and self-centered things. And you know that what life was like before, but now you've experienced the joy of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you'd say, yes, I'm for Jesus. He is mine. Do people see that? Others of you, I know that you have the peace of Jesus, even though you've lost your job or your health is not what it should be or wish it would be. Even though the relationships aren't a way you wish or prayed, you have this solid confidence. Peace is the solid confidence that God is in control even when the world feels like it's out of control. Does the world know that you are for Jesus? Because it's 2,000 years later and this is what they were known for. This was the early church's DNA. Is this the DNA that people see in us? And here's the good news. It can be.